Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Good morning and welcome to another show where I get to speak to incredible people from around the world. These are leaders at the very top end of their game. They've seen it and done it and I've got a lot to contribute. And my special guest today is a very, very experienced in all sorts of ways. I've, she's got so much wisdom uh, that she's going to be sharing with us and I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation. Today's guest is Kay Allen, OBE. Uh, Kay is the campaign director for something called Age Irrelevance. We're going to come on to that in a short while, but you can get a sense that she's very much into social action, diversity, equality. She's got a huge history of this and, uh, you know, she's worked in all sorts of organisations and, uh, and, and places and sectors, including Sky, Disability Rights Commission, Equality Human Rights Commission, Council on Social Action, the Extra Cost Commission, Ofcom, Purple Space and even Downing Street. And she has contributed so much that she was actually recognised with the OBE back, I think, in 2010 for all of the incredible work that she does. But she's not stopping there. She's now on a mission called Age Irrelevance. Kay, we're going to talk all about this today. Uh, Kay, thank you so much for taking time out to join us today on the show. You're very welcome. Delighted to be here. So listen, I've actually wanted to, been wanting to get you on the show for a while now because when I hear age irrelevance, it really does sort of touch something within me because, you know, I'm of a certain age uh, where uh, people say to me, are you going to slow down? And I just don't feel like I want to slow down. I feel like I have so much yet to contribute. I wake up every single morning excited. I am doing new things all the time. I've got so many projects on the go and it keeps me young, inverted commas. So tell me, what is your driving force behind something like Age Irrelevance? Well, I guess my driving force for this is from the amazing spirit of Baroness Sally Greenbrooks. Uh, Sally passed away last year. Um, I had the privilege of knowing Sally Greenross for over 30 years, and she was a colossus in campaigning. And she was a formidable spirit in wanting true inclusion in society. And I met Sally uh, 30 years ago when I was at B&Q, and Sally created and was part of what was then Age Concern. And she really wanted to get the nation to think about the next 30 years. And she was always a futurist, always thinking ahead rather than in the now. And she came to us at B&Q with a futurologist and she talked to us about what the year 2022 might look like with more over 65-year-olds and 16-year-olds, the demographics of age changing, noticing that work would have to change. 
And we had a big conversation in B&Q about how would B&Q prepare for that demographic change. And of course, as a result of that, the now infamous B&Q over 50 strategy was born. I'm now 60, so, you know, the irony that I called <laughs> it over 50 isn't lost on me. But we had an amazing journey at B&Q. We began to explore what that would mean. And we did our experiment at Macclesfield B&Q, where you had to be over 50 to work in B&Q. And the results were astounding. They were astounding. We had no staff turnover, no staff theft, which in retail was a problem. We had amazing customer service. We had brilliant training opportunities. And we then replicated that in another store to see if we could get the same results. And we did. So therefore, B&Q then introduced its strategy to really embrace both older customers and older employees recognizing that talent that was 30 years ago i mean i was just thinking exactly it's way ahead of its time way ahead of its time isn't it 30 years ago she was way ahead and and sally and i just became so connected over that 30-year journey and and I served with her on the Commission for Equality and Human Rights. We had many conversations and dinner conversations about the state of the nation. And my driving force for this campaign isn't mine, it's Sally's. And four years ago, she came to me and said, Kay, I need my last hurrah. So back in, in the millennium, we did the millennium debate of the age and produced the millennium papers about housing need, values and attitudes, changing employment. So she wanted to reinvent that conversation. So she asked me to deliver the campaign. But I kind of said, well, I've stepped away from work now. I'd had breast cancer myself and I bought a farm in Hereford and I wasn't sure. Um, But Sally persuaded me with the strength of her argument that we need to think about age differently. It has to be reimagined for the United Kingdom and then share that practice globally. And other countries indeed do do it differently. But if you think about what's happening with our demographics, We are still an ageing population, but this campaign is not about ageism and it's not about older people. And it's very much about intergenerational connectivity and getting us all to think about the different phases and stages of our life. See, I love that. I love that, this intergenerational connectivity that you talk about, because, you know, we were having a conversation, weren't we, uh, just before we started and we were talking about diversity and how very often when we talk about diversity we homogenize groups by creating these characteristics and when we do talk about ageism we we start talking about the older community or be above a certain uh, you know age etc etc and i i think we lose an opportunity there of creating this intergenerational connectivity because that's what it's about If, if we want a nation to grow then it has to be about all of the ages that exist within that nation, within that organisation, within that sector, and working very cohesively together to produce whatever the objective is. Um, so how do we go about creating this intergenerational connectivity? It's a really great question. And there's some amazing organisations that I'll name check that are really going to do that, like Intergenerational England with Jeremy Hughes. But let me just give you an analogy of how Sally described this to Mm. me. Cool, imagine you're in a play and you know all your lines and all the script and you're good to go and you're a week from curtain call. And the executive producer comes to you and says, yeah, we've got to stay on the stage an extra 40 minutes. 
you have a choice to make. Do you do you pad out the final act? Do you do you talk slower? Do you put in some more lines? Do you put in an extra scene? Sally said, you rip up the script and you throw it away and you have to rewrite the script. I like Sally. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're taking to Anthropy this year. How do you rewrite the script? Because let's think about that in terms of that intergenerational connectivity. If you're a younger person now, take my granddaughter, she's age six. What kind of career are they looking at now? Because if we go back to Sally's play, what the governments are doing, and we've seen this in France recently, they're stretching the middle bit of the play. They're saying, work longer, live in retirement longer. Yep. If you take my dad, my dad was born in 1920, and he did exactly what the government of the day predicted he would do. He had an okay education for a working class lad in Manchester. He got an apprenticeship with what was... Ferrantes, the big employer where we lived, and he had a job for life. He met my mum there and they had that journey together. He retired when he should have done and he died seven years later. That was exactly what government predicted. He would have a seven-year pension pot and all was good. But if you take my mum, she was a fearsome lady and broke all the rules. Um, so she also sort of did what government said and got a job for life and retired when she was 60. She died when she was in her mid-90s. So there wasn't enough in her pension pot to fund a better, longer life. So if mm -hmm. you're looking at your children now, how do we encourage them to think differently about savings and investments? What will their pension look like? And what will their career look like? My granddaughter is unlikely to have a job for life. She is likely to keep pivoting. And what we know from the demographics and looking at futurologists now, and there's some brilliant authors on this, like The 100-Year Life and Ageism, uh, there's all kinds of conversations mm. going on. But what we know now is if you're heading towards a 50-year career, you're not going to want to stay in the same job for 50 years. You're going to want to step off and do something creative, step back on, pivot that career. But employers are not keeping up with that as a demographic. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I'm so pleased that you just said that last bit there, that employers aren't keeping up with this. Because I recall, you know, my background is 30 years, 32 years in the police service, which is sort of a, the predictions, right? You, when I joined, one of the first things I remember we were told in our training school was, hey, here's a pension, just sign on the dotted line, don't worry about it, it's 30 years. And at the end of 30 years, you get a nice pension. So, of course, this, this mindset continues throughout your 30 years. And I was talking to my wife only about this uh, last night. She's a teacher. Uh, and we were talking about, she was talking about her retiring at the age of 65, 66, whatever that age is now. I said, do you really want to continue to work when actually we could be doing something far more exciting, maybe contributing to society, maybe you working in the area that I'm doing, we want to do youth leadership as well, maybe we could contribute to society in that way. She says, yeah, but what about my pension? And I, and, and I think this is part of the problem that uh, many people are stuck in this pension trap, this, this, these golden handcuffs, as I very often call them. And organisationally, organization, uh, they get really frustrated that people don't come into, for example, the police service and want to do the 30 years. We live in, we, we have a very transient population, very transient generation that does pivot, that does want to explore different things, that does want to add to their CV and so forth and so on. 
And I think that uh, that is going to be the future for the next goodness knows how many decades. And it is understanding that this is how life is going to sort of uh, unravel in, in front of us. So I think when it comes to that whole age and experience of the older person, the wiser person, who still have so much to contribute to society, I think very often what we tend to do is forget those people because they've got their pension or they've gone and they've moved on, they've done their working life but we forget the level of contribution that they can afford to society as well. Exactly. And this was Sally's idea for Age Irrelevance. She wanted the campaign to find amazing ambassadors that really understood her passion, people who knew Sally. And so we're surrounding ourselves with amazing ambassadors. Yeah. But the point of the campaign is we're not doing anything. We're going to bring together amazing change makers who are doing things in this area. So if you look at pensions, we're going to work in partnership and collaboration with the brilliant Andy Briggs, who is the CEO of Phoenix Insights. This is their industry on pensions and investments. So LNG, they're all looking at what this might mean. But we need to join the dots on that with come on employers. We know that LNG did a brilliant piece of research that says people over the age of 55 do feel discriminated, maybe not discriminated, but opportunities not there or the door being closed. Um, you know, I'm 60 and my career, my CV's got four big gaps in it because I've chosen to go and do other things to for mm. my life. The AI looking at my CV would probably throw me out as don't employ her, she's too old and got too many gaps. So how do we convince employers to just really think about age irrelevance and what that truly means, both for young people, reverse mentoring, giving people the gift of extra time. But this campaign isn't about saying, oh, you've all got to work till you're older in order to fund a better life. One of our brilliant partners is Inspired Villages and the CEO, Jamie Bunce there, has got a brilliant way of looking at the gift of extra time. So if you're going to live to 100 and you do have the gift of that extra time, what are you and your wife going to give back with that gift mm, of extra time? 100%. And that's yeah. the optimism yeah. of Sally. She wants us yeah. all as individuals to think, what's the gift of extra time? How do we live longer for better? What What is that pension looking like? What's that funding looking like? And also, of course, age-appropriate housing. We have a big problem with housing in the UK. And again, we've now got an awesome task force looking at age-appropriate housing. The government focuses a lot, rightly, on housing stock for younger people. Yeah. My generation, the baby boomers, get told, well, you're okay, you've got your equity in your property now. We had the low interest rates. But actually, there's not enough age-appropriate housing stock at the other end either that would encourage me to sell, downsize into, into a, a bungalow, you know, good accessible accommodation, but in the area I want to live. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that the conveyor belt still has gaps in it. And, and consequently, if it has those gaps, it's not going to work effectively. It is. And, and then, you know, underlying that, if we're all going to pivot our careers, how does lifelong learning really shift? And how does it mm -hmm. really take on? So if you've had 10 years in HR and you want to pivot and have a go at marketing, how do you age 50 go, can I go back to school? Uh, where do I go to get that lifelong learning account? And if I then want to re-educate myself, what does that do to my national insurance and to my pension? So what Sally wanted the Age Irrelevance campaign to do was to join all of those dots, to bring amazing change makers together. 
And the point of the campaign is we're going to just spend a couple of years engaging brilliant change makers and getting them to evidence what they're doing. Sally was so clear. She said, it's not about research, Kay. We've got enough research. We know the problem. <laughs> we know the Very solutions. True. So, Cole, my question to you is, why do you think people are, are not doing it? Why are employers not stepping up? Why have we not got lifelong learning accounts? Why is there not enough age-appropriate housing in the UK? And how do we, as change makers, you and I working in this space, what do we have to do to inspire others? That's a really good question, Kay, because uh, I have an answer. Uh, I think one of the reasons why we don't pursue sometimes the obvious is because we know in order for us to achieve something in that area, wherever it, whatever it might be, is it's going to take an awful lot of work. And therefore, it requires a lot of leadership courage. Now, if you look at many of the very, very senior leaders in organizations and in sectors, they work on a limited time scale. They may be contracted or they may be voted in for a limited period of time. But much of what we need to be done extends beyond that time. So consequently, they may just be thinking, well, for the period that I'm here, what is it that I can achieve in that period? And very often it's not enough that needs the, the, from what needs to be achieved. Uh, and I think that... Um, the other thing is that, uh, in answer to, to your second question, I believe that we look at issues around diversity, inclusion, equality in slightly the wrong way in the sense that uh, we introduce a bit of negativity or adversarial thinking within that. We know what the answers are. We've done so much research. I completely accord with uh, Sally. We have done so much research in so many areas of inclusion that we've got to a point where we actually know what the answers are. And I always say that we need to move beyond the rhetoric now into action. Uh, but if we gauge that action or if we talk about that action in, the, in, the, in a negative sense, in an adversarial or an accusatory, uh, accusatory kind of uh, context, then, of course, people's, uh, people will become defensive and not, not do what needs to be done. So I think positivity is very, very key in all of this. Everybody needs to feel included in the solution. Everybody needs to play a part in the solution. And there should be no finger pointing, quite simply. That's my take on how we move forward with any area of diversity and inclusion. And it's a real life challenge for DEI managers. And I hope your DEI audience listening at this don't don't take this as a criticism. But in my experience, going in and talking to organisations, people produce the strategy and the vision. Then they produce the action plan. They have a budget, which is reality, and then they prioritise their actions within their budget capability and the talent that they've got. So when I hear the phrase, well, we're going to focus on the gender pay gap this year. Of course, that's important. But what about disability? What about LGBTQ? What about race? What about religion? And I can, I've can i seen action plans where they said, well, we'll deal with disability next year because that's quite tough, isn't it? Or yeah. then we'll think about accessibility. For me... This is about just inclusivity. What are, what are the things that we need to do as an employer, talking about employment now, um, that our brand reputational value is seen as somewhere that people want to work? 100%. I don't know if you've heard of Lord Mark Price's brilliant organisation called Workle. Do, do investigate Workle. Oh, it's the be, happiness yeah. indices. And he collects, he's got data that is just mind-blowing now. 55,000 organisations, thousands of, it, of people logging on and saying what it's like to work at Tesco's, what it's like to work at B&Q. Right. But he can now cut that data by all these protected characteristics and age. And people over the age of 55 
guess what? We're the happiest. So we're more engaged. <laughs> we're more productive. So how do we get that message out? But the beauty about age is we're all going to age as human beings. We're all going to go on that life journey. If I'm a, a young uh, person of colour right now or a mm. young disabled woman right now or somebody struggling with their sexuality at that young age, we're all going to go through that age journey. And people talk about intersectionality and different kinds of discrimination. For me, it, that's not the narrative. Sally yeah. wanted us to flip the narrative to we don't want a tsunami of old people coming towards the NHS, coming towards society, coming towards pension. She said, what's the opportunity for the UK balance sheet to add value back to society? So if you and your wife go, okay, right now we're okay financially. So actually let's go and do some work in youth and save differently. And then you give an enormous amount back to the UK balance sheet. And how could we measure that? Because you said before, you know, you're fit and well. All the research and evidence shows if we stay active, keep our I minds agree. active, stay physically active. Do you know what? We don't need the NHS as much. So how much saving is there to the UK economy if we just encourage community connectivity? I don't think there's eno enough conversations about this. I mean, th that has been my own personal experience. I don't know about the empirical research behind it, but my own experience has been looking around. I have seen police officers who have retired around about the ages of 50. And there are two types. There are those that continue to work and do incredible things and keep themselves busy and they seem to stay fit and healthy. But I've also been to a lot of funerals of those people who have stopped working and suddenly become old, inverted commas, you know, they have, and they, they have all the old person diseases, you know, strokes and heart attacks and diabetes and so forth and so on. And you suddenly see this happening. And, and I think um, I read somewhere that sitting down is the new smoking, you know. So this sedentary lifestyle is, is actually very, very injurious to our health. And I think that our mind is like almost foundational in everything that we do. And the busier that we seem to be, the more that we have to focus on, the less inclined we are to become uh, ill. And as you say, there is a contribution. There, there is, a, there is a, a contribution towards the overall UK economy because the NHS isn't going to be under perhaps that kind of strain that it has been under. So there's, everything seems to be interconnected. We just need to, as you said earlier on, join those dots up, see the picture for what it is, understand what needs to be done, whether it's in an organisation, whether it's in society, and just do it. And that requires leadership courage. Absolutely. And, you know, one of our change makers, as I've said, is Jamie Bunce from Inspired Village, and he wants to take that message into every community. How do we inspire millions across Britain to really get involved in that kind of intergenerational keeping well, living longer for better? And we're very privileged this year that Anthropy is, is taking the age of relevance debate and giving us two big debates at Anthropy this year. Mm -hmm. And one of the debates is... Yes, we all want to live longer for better, but what's the gift of that extra time and how do we all own our own accounts? But equally, if we're leaders, and I love the fact you've talked about courageous leaders, how do business leaders today say, if we have age policies that block opportunity, you're discriminating against your future self? So yes. we want to get to every HR director in the United Kingdom through the CIPD and Peter Cheese and say, come on, HR, you own this. You can create amazing policies 
But how do we shift that? But it's not in the budget this year. Well, we are going to look at age, but we're going to do it next year. How do we ensure that inclusivity and that inclusive leadership debate is the new narrative? Yes. Uh, and I, I would love for that to be the new narrative because I think this this whole short-termism that we're going to focus on this protected character this year and well, maybe we'll focus on race next year and the, the year after that I'll focus on so and so and uh, so forth. And I think that, that for me is short-termism and it's almost like sticking plaster uh, uh, sort of uh, strategies. So you may have an issue at this moment in time that is more geared towards race than any other par- uh, 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 characteristic. So you put a sticking plaster on that. We're only ever chasing the symptoms but inclusivity is about the cause. It's about creating a causal uh, sort of foundational uh, environment and thinking and mindset that actually makes everything around protected characteristics almost irrelevant because it just becomes a norm. And I love Sally's um, thought process on that because, you know, when she first said to me about the campaign of age irrelevance, she'd given a speech where she used that sentence where people are just people and age is irrelevant. And I said, but isn't age relevant? And that's kind of an argument I get. That's what she wanted. She wanted the argument. She wanted the thought process. This isn't easy. She knew that. But equally, she was a parliamentarian and she wants to take good evidence to Parliament to say, these are the changes that we should have in education. These are the changes we should have in housing. And here's how it works. So Sally left me this enormous campaign with her two brilliant daughters, Gail Greengross and Claire Dacon, to think about how do we get that campaign together? So Sally wrote the campaign and she rang me on the Monday and she was really clear, okay, go get your ambassadors, find the change makers and report back and do it fast. She passed away on the Thursday and um, her daughter Gail rang me on the Friday and said, mum said you were going to do this. And and kind of, mm. I feel Sally's spirit with me now. And anybody who knew Sally Greenross will know that she dedicated her life to campaigning for inclusivity. So the Age of Relevance campaign is designed just to not let that indomitable spirit fade away, but ensure that her vision for the next 30 years, where we have lifelong learning, we can pivot our careers, we have employers that recruit on skill and task, where knowledge is brilliantly transferred from younger generations to older generations and Mm -hmm. back and forth, that middle age becomes that great generating age where we can think to do something differently. You know, we're we're the generating age, you and me. We've had an amazing career. I mean, that that literally is sending uh, chills up and down my spine to think of middle age as being something that's really contributory. As a, as, as, a, as, a, as an age, the wisdom that we can bring in, the energy that we can still have. Uh, and actually, from a health perspective, we can all be fitter and healthier together as well. You know, I, I think that will make the country much more vibrant anyway. Uh, I just want to pick up on Sally because she sounds like such an incredible human being. Uh, and you're no less so for continuing all the work that you've done over the years. But this in particular, uh, pushing the pushing the envelope. And getting people to see it in a wholly different way, in a very positive, with a very positive light. Uh, and I, th- I wish you well in that. Uh, and if I can support this, this campaign in any way, I will do. Okay. Let's just think about, you've talked about EDI, uh, uh, EDI leaders. You've talked about HR leaders. We've talked about organizational leaders, social leaders. If there was one message that you would want them to 
you know, really scratch their head about and take away from our conversation, what would that message be? I think the one message would be is we're all human beings and we've all got different value sets. We're all different. Some of us are quiet introverts. Some of us are campaigners and extroverts. Some of us are the doers. Some of us are the strategic people. But it is about overlaying how does age irrelevance enable us all to contribute in the way that we want to. Some people are in the lower economic brackets and will have to work to, you know, longer for their finances. But how do we enable that? How do we ensure that they are in a happiness workplace, as Mark would describe it, that embraces their older knowledge? And how do we encourage young people to really take advantage of that? So I think my my one connection is to take a moment and think about your own age journey from where you came as a young person to where you're going as an older person. I've had a brilliantly squiggly career. If you read the book on the squiggly career, I am the squiggly career. I've left <laughs> from over here in HR, gone and done public affairs, I've bred Arabian horses, I've come back, I'm now a pig farmer in Hereford. Um, so how do we embrace that right now the UK is pivoting, next gen do want to do careers differently employers will need to think about talent differently so if you are a leader right now and you're in that position don't go into your day job come up and look how would age relevance impact on what you're doing right now and what could you do to bring the positivity the strength the value of age relevance to your bottom line today this is social action at its heart we know that we can find the evidence that says the UK benefits if we treat people from all backgrounds, all ages, with respect and inclusivity and bring those difference. Because that's what makes high-performing teams, isn't it, Colin? It isn't that you've got a couple of great people. I'm just sat here, Kay, just, just sort of taking all of this in because it is music to my heart. It's exactly what I, I get very cross about sometimes, to be honest, saying this is so simple. Why aren't people seeing this? Uh, but you've just put it forward so eloquently. And, you know, and if there are some uh, people of our age out there listening, you know, I've had those 30 years in one single career, not pivoted, but now I've, I'm thinking wholly differently. You know, I've, I've become a TV presenter at the age of 57. I'm, I'm, I wrote my first uh, TV drama series at the age of 56. And I've done so many things that I never, ever thought I would do. And it's all about pushing the envelope. So I think we have a responsibility both individually and collectively to keep pushing that envelope uh, to create a society where inclusivity truly means that. Uh, inclusivity means you know, bringing people together irrespective of these so-called protected characteristics and recognising that every single person is a human being. We're perfectly imperfect. Uh, and that's sort of half the fun of being a human being, right? Uh, Kate, I want to thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I know we will talk more about ageing relevance, but thank you so much for enlightening me and hopefully enlightening a lot of our listeners today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Cole. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.